Welcome to Wine Country Women with Michelle Mandreau, the podcast for wine enthusiasts who are curious not only about what goes in the bottle, but the remarkable women who make these distinctive winemaking regions so special. Each week, Michelle introduces you to a prominent woman and takes a peek inside her life. Welcome to today's Wine Country Women podcast. I'm Michelle Mandreau, and I'm talking with Laura Larson, who's the proprietor of 601 Cellars in the Napa Valley. Laura, how are you today? I'm wonderful. Michelle, how are you? I'm doing all right. I'm really excited to be sitting down with you. You're one of my new favorite people. Woo. <laughs> I, really, I feel it, special. Well, I, I've really enjoyed getting to know you. You've, you're really an amazing woman. And I think that our listeners are going to discover why. You came from the high-tech world, which is a, a whole career in high-tech, and now you're in the wine business. So I want you to tell me about the moment that you kind of had that light bulb moment that you wanted to get into the wine, wine business. Well, it was actually a serendipitous occasion. Um, my husband and I actually moved to Napa um, in the downturn of the real estate market back in 2010. And we were actually both in the high-tech world. And we traveled a lot. Um, we got married in 2001, um, actually in June 2001, which is where our label um, name came from, 601 Cellars. And we used to travel, and when we eloped in Italy in June 2001, we discovered Sangiovese and all the different types of Sangiovese. When we came back to California, which is the wines that we know and love, it was very hard to find. So we did find a couple of producers. Choquette was one of our favorites. Luna Vineyards made one. Um, Antonori makes one. But they really were few, few and hard, you know, far between to, uh, to get our hands on. So we said, you know, if we ever have a chance to make wine, we're going to make Sangiovese. So flash forward, uh, 2015, uh, we've gotten to know a lot of friends in the wine business, and they kind of knew we had this little passion for Sangiovese. Uh, we were made aware of a, a vineyard uh, up in Calistoga, Bruno Solari, the Solari family vineyard, where there was some Sangiovese for sale. And we got talked into buying the grapes, and the same friends found us a couple barrels, and so we were kind of on our way. And we had no idea that we would eventually start our own winery and have a small label of our own, so it's been a lot of fun. Is it as hard as you thought it would be, or as easy? Well, I mean, because we're, so we're 300 cases max, Right, um, we're still able to carry on our normal day-to-day lives, although my husband is actually the winemaker, and um, he retired from the tech world right around the time that we decided we were going to do this. So he really put his heart and soul into being the winemaker. I mean, we're not one of those um, wineries that, you know, you come from Silicon Valley and you just buy into it and you pay somebody to make your wine and you pay somebody to do everything and then, you know, you get all the glory. We've we've done the blood, blood, sweat, and tears. Yeah, I mean, based on my research, uh, you actually picked the grapes at one point. You did the punch downs. The um, picking lasted about <laughs> three minutes when I saw how great the great the farm workers did, and <laughs> were able to get through two rows while I got one cluster off. So we picked 
once. Uh, but yeah, we do everything from, you know, the grapes coming off the vine to getting it into the bottle. Well, and your husband... And drinking it, of course. Of course, of course. And your husband did get some education. Yeah, so Brian, actually, um, one of the things that we really love about the wine business versus the business we used to be in, the high tech, is it's not competitive. Um, Everyone was so supportive of us when we started out. Uh, We had winemakers that we crushed with down in South Napa that were really intrigued with the fact that we were even making Sangiovese. But so many people just, you know, if we'd get stuck on a fermentation or anything that we did, um, people would step forward and make recommendations and make suggestions on how we, what we could do to make our wine better. They actually wanted us to have really good wine. Yeah. They're very supportive community. So not only do you make Sangiovese, but you make a Super Tuscan, you make a Grenache, and of course you make a Rosé. Right. So the Sangiovese was our, you know, is our heart blood. Mm -hmm. Uh, We started off with our Sangiovese, which did evolve to the Super Tuscan, which is a Sangiovese. It's 80% of our Napa Sangiovese with a blend of uh, Cabernet and Merlot. Okay. Uh, And a few years in, we were told about a really unique plot of... um, vineyard in Rutherford called Magal Heritage, which is an old vine-trained uh, Grenache vineyard, and only five acres, and we had we always loved Grenache, but again, very hard to find as a single varietal in Napa, so we hopped on the opportunity, and uh, so now we make a Napa Grenache from Rutherford, and our rosé is actually from that same vineyard. We pick some of the grapes early and just make one barrel and we uh, produce that provincial style. We do full cluster press, and um, that's a, my coveted wine that I call it Mama's Wine. <laughs> <laughs> Friends and family, but get that one. <laughs> In your wildest dreams, did you ever think that you'd be a winery owner? No. <laughs> uh, so, you know, people always say living the dream, living the dream, mm-hmm. but, you know, it is hard work. It's um, not something to take lightly. I mean, some people come in, like I say, and kind of pay everybody to do everything and take the glory. But if you're going to get your hands dirty and it's really, if you put blood, sweat, and tears into it, it really means a lot to you. Has there been anyone uh, that stands out that has kind of helped you and your husband along the way, a mentor per se? Well, like I said, it's we've had a lot of friends right. in the business that have guided us, but there's a couple of people who really stand out. First is probably Barb Spelatich, who is the proprietor of Crush 94. And they usually take larger vintners. Um, It's a collective uh, crush facility. And they wouldn't take some, you know, normally wouldn't take somebody that was as small as we were, especially at the time. And we just kind of connected with her and she took Brian under her wing and she trained in Bordeaux and she has her own wine label. And she was very, very um, helpful and instrumental in getting Brian started on his winemaking journey. And then part two is Rudy Zudima, who's a good friend of ours and is actually um, the one who turned us on to the vineyard in, actually, uh, introduced us to another Sangiovese vineyard when we ran, when we lost connection with the when Solari stopped producing the Sangiovese and he introduced us to the Rutherford patch of Grenache which he makes his own label from as well and he's been just phenomenal uh, resource for us he's a great guy and he's really helped us along and we actually do our rosé with him as well okay. so those two probably be any other varietals in the future 
No, I think we're going to stick. You know, it's hard enough. It's uh, we're seeing this trend, and hopefully, as the younger generation of drinker comes into Napa and people say, I don't want to spend $300 on a bottle of wine on a Tuesday night. Uh, we're, we're kind of in that, uh, patch of wine label or, 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 um, product that, you know, most of our wines are under $50. Our super Tuscan is more because it has Napa cab in it, but the prices have gotten so high here and we're, it, it really reflects who we are. We're, we're open a bottle on Tuesday and have a pizza. And so that's kind of our, our mantra with regard to the Sangiovese that we, that we make. And, um, frankly, I think sticking with those two varietals is keeping us busy enough to explain why we're making that. (laughs) Uh, but they're both food wines and they also reflect a lot of our travels through Europe. So they're our favorites. So we're going to stick with it. Okay. People want to taste your wine. What's the best way for them to do that? Uh, we buy it. <laughs> no, we have um, an arrangement with the folks at the Rutherford Wine Vault up in Rutherford. We're all direct to consumer, with the exception of a couple of our favorite restaurants, where we actually collect a lot of clients. Uh, the we sell our wines at Bistro Don Giovanni, uh, Alegria. Um, First and Franklin carries our Grenache and Rosés. We're at Charla. You know, places that we like to go and eat that are good food places to pair with our wine. First and Franklin, we can taste it first and Franklin, but a lot of our friends, we just open a bottle of wine and that's how we do it. <laughs> so if somebody listening from Florida wants to taste your wine... Could they order it online? They'd have to get it online, yeah. So all of our wines are purchased on our website, which is 601sellers.com, and we have all of our current vintages there. We do encourage people that know us, if you're interested in older vintage, uh, to give us a call, reach out directly. I personally answer every email that we get uh, from people that send a note to either me or info at 601sellers.com. So we we know all of our customers. If we don't know you when you buy your wine, you'll know We'll know you by the time you get your wine. Okay. <laughs> Top moment of your career so far, whether it's in wine or high tech? I would say starting the winery was really something, you know, I was successful in my tech career, and I could probably rattle off a bunch of awards and accolades that I got doing that. But in my heart, um, having a product and building a business that really is, you know, affects me at a personal level and is something I own myself is probably where I would say I, I would put up there at the, at the top. Okay. Most challenging part of having a wine brand or establishing a wine brand? For us, because we're so small, um, it's hard to get the press or get the uh, visibility that you need. For example, if we wanted to go into a collective, we're we're not big enough to have our own winery. I mean, let's face it, a press machine is $2 million. Um, So when you look at the collective model, you know, these guys charge a couple grand a month, and then they take 50% of the wine sales, and there's a lot of, they pour a lot of wine. And we're just at at a size that it just doesn't make good business sense for us to do that. So a lot of our, um, Making the wines, actually, we joke. I tell my husband, like, you've done the easy part. Now we have to sell it. (laughs) Um, So getting the word out and getting the brand out there. And luckily, over the year, when we first started, it was hard. Uh, But we've developed kind of a following 
uh, friends and fa we call it our friends and family following because we are so small. So a lot of our, like I said, now a lot of our customers are referrals and people try our wine at a party and then they come, people come and buy a couple cases. So it's evolved to the point that it's gotten easier, but it still is, it's still hard to sell the wine. Do you have a, a club or a membership? Everybody is a family member to us because okay. we can't, you know, we put our prices at a point that we're trying to be affordable and approachable mm -hmm. and honestly we know every it's like nobody's more important than anybody else so um our prices are our prices sometimes we'll run special promotions or shipping you know shipping things to people that are friends in florida and south carolina and other places can get our wine without paying you know a hundred dollars which is keeps going up every year right um, to get a case of wine but other than that no membership no. Okay. What are you hoping for with your wine brand? Will it grow to 500 cases? Um, no, um, I think we're happy with the size that we are. Mm -hmm. uh, it's very manageable. Everything we do is by, you know, handcrafted. We um, stand and watch every bottle go into the case off the, bo you know, the, the bottling line. Uh, we hand press our, our, um, our we, during fermentation, we you know, hand punch, um, and we really like to be involved with it from soup, you know, from fine to glass. So, what's the best advice that you've gotten or that you can recall during this whole process? To have fun, and luckily we can because the wine business. Based, obviously based on our size is not our livelihood and I truly respect the winemakers out there and the vintners out there who are doing this for a living and are paying their mortgages and paying their you know, kids college education on selling wine because it is a it is a hard business like I said it's not people support you but um, there's a lot of different types of wines and businesses and people trying to get attention out there and it's hard and it's getting harder with prices going up and um, especially with environmental concerns now with fires and droughts and um, supply chain issues. Supply chain issues. So for us, it's uh, we have the luxury to relax with it a little bit. I mean, it's definitely an investment of time and money, um, but we try to make it be uh, part of our lifestyle, okay. if that makes any sense. So that being said... Let's talk about what your occupation was once you landed in the Napa Valley. We bought our first home oh, there in 2010. Oh, okay. It was I'm 2010, <laughs> and we moved. So it was. We used to live in um, on the East Coast. We were in the Northern Virginia, right. Washington D.C. area, and I commuted a lot to Silicon Valley for a couple of decades in my tech career. And so during that time. You know, sometimes I'd be in Silicon Valley for a week at a time, and I'd fly back to the East Coast, and then the next week I'd come back. And so during the uh, recession period, 2008-2010, we serendipitously came to Napa and thought we'd look at some properties and got a real nice deal on a place that we thought we'd maybe rent out a little bit. Well, but we ended up being here, and finally, 2015, we were here like 90% of the time. So we moved here full-time in 2015. Okay, and that's when you started the wine brand. But you also started another business, Virtual Vines, yeah. correct? Yeah, so Virtual Vines. So I was working um, 
don't know if I can mention the company I worked for when sure. we moved here. So I was a, a global executive at VMware, and I worked here, worked with them for about a year or so while I was living in Napa because I traveled a lot, and it was actually closer to go to Silicon Valley than from Virginia. Um, and while I was in Napa over the years, I felt there was this gap as a wine connoisseur and wine drinker in um, the way that wineries marketed and sold wine. They really focused a lot just on tasting room sales. Uh, nobody was looking out at the internet, which is, was my background. And so I started a consulting company called Virtual Vines, which was um, to, to consult wineries on how to get a little more presence with their online customers. Like if somebody comes in um, to the tasting room from Florida and you sell them a bunch of wine and they join your wine club, they may never come back to Napa again. So what are you doing to talk to that customer in Florida keep now? Keep them engaged. Yeah, how do you keep mm-hmm. them engaged? So, um, so yeah, so I did. I still have that company as part of my life, um, although I do have a full-time contract now with Napa Valley Life magazine, actually. That's a whole other story. <laughs> She's a busy girl. A, let's, just, <laughs> let's just say that, right? <laughs> but I still help wine, you know, friends that are, I still help and provide consulting once in a while. But sure. right now I'm kind of. You don't let you don't let any grass grow under your feet. I right? like to be busy. Yeah, that's well, why look. I drink the wine. <laughs> Learn more about the women who live in wine country when you purchase one of our lifestyle books at winecountrywomen.com. Well, why don't we shift on to your personal life? It seems like a perfect time Uh-oh, to do okay. that. So, as you said, you are from the D.C. area. Um, I was. Lived in the D.C. area for about 20 years, but my ba- my history Where did you as grow a kid, up? my father was in the Navy, and so I was born on the East Coast in Groton, Connecticut, and we moved every two years. Oh That's probably goodness. why you can't get me to shut up, because I had to make new friends every two years, every place <laughs> we went. Um, so we moved all over the place, and my, we finally settled in um, the Virginia, Maryland, Virginia area when my dad got out of active duty and got into naval intelligence so he was stationed in washington dc so that's where we kind of settled in that area spent the most amount of most time that i can remember (laughs) (laughs) you moved to the napa valley you live in the town of napa so how did you choose napa versus yauntville rutherford st helena well there is actually rationale behind that first of all we got a good deal in the house because the market was down at the time but I am a city girl at heart, and as we started to look up Valley, I was thinking, it's going to take me 40 minutes to get to Starbucks, or it's going to take me, you know, how am I going to get on the highway and get into the city or get to the airport? So Napa was closer to the action, and that's how we ended up there. Okay. If we t- took a step inside your home, what would we see? What's your decorating style? Um, lots of art. And it's actually funny you asked that because I just went from our living area of you know, red walls and bright art um, to a little more neutral palette, and just I just kind of brought it down a little bit. But we uh, there's art, you know art everywhere, so there, that's kind of my my color palette. And I do move the art around a lot. You Matter of fact, our artists um, are on our wine labels so we love art and we have friends here in napa who are artists so we have like tim howe and lowell downey and my friend betsy grady who actually do 
they're pieces of artwork that we have that we've made into our wine labels. Wonderful. But you also have their artwork in your home. Correct. Right. That's how okay. they became our wine yeah. labels. <laughs> Super. When you kick back and relax at home, what room do you go to? Uh, we hang out in the main, the kitchen. It's all kind of one. It's one of those open architecture floor type plans. Huh, floor plans. So kitchen and sofa, TV, stereo, and looking out at the vineyard with outside, too. I, we like to be outside a lot, too. And what kind of music do you put on? Different types, but if I'm just hanging, I like like classic rock, like old vinyl. You know, we like to listen to, you know, Rolling Stones. I was a rocker back in the day, so I still like to listen to a lot of that old older, you know, classic vinyl stuff. So when um, you're relaxing, you listen to the Rolling Stones? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> well, relaxing... Well, if I'm kicking, that depends. Kicking back, drinking a glass of wine, hanging out, it's relaxing to me. If I'm, like, you know, tired and hanging, probably old, like, Nora Jones and music like that. So I have, I'd have different tracks I make. I make my own tracks on Spotify. Of course you do. (laughs) Because she doesn't have enough to do already. (laughs) So do you have any hobbies? Do you Um, collect anything other than artwork and wine? I play the guitar. Wow. Not like, you know, super good at it, but um Could you play used me to a song in the day? Could you play a song? Uh I could. Yeah. Would I recognize it? You would. Okay. That's awesome. Other than the guitar playing, is there anything else that people might be surprised to learn about you? Uh Well, I think I mentioned earlier I'm somehow evolved into being the editor of a magazine here at Napa right? Um, for Napa Valley Life magazine which I've been doing which is a contract that I'm working on but started doing some ad hoc you know helping them do hiring and helping them you know roll some writers in and I don't know if that's surprising though I'm thinking something more crazy like do you rappel down mountains do you skydive did you do Mm, something crazy as a child adventure for me is climbing in and out of the shower in the morning (laughs) Climbing. We like in to travel. Out. I mean, I'm a you know, I'm a business class girl. I don't know, right? I, okay, I get scared. I don't get know. Get scared? Oh no. <laughs> okay. Well, now, like skiing and stuff like that. I, I prefer the lodge. Yeah. I mean, if you're asking if I'm like a you know renegade out there. In well, the I'm sports trying to world. find out if there's something like crazy and unusual that a lot of people don't know about that you can tell us about. They might have done it as a child. You. That just it's not readily known. Mm, or probably now. not ready for prime time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, she's keeping it tight lipped, folks. We're in wine country. Other than your own wine, what do you like to drink at home? Are you a wine girl or do you have the occasional beer or cocktail? I am a cocktail girl and mm. I love vodka. Mm. So vodka's like my go to. I'd like to actually usually start with a nice palate cleanser, a nice, you know. Stoli or Grey Goose vodka with some club soda and a little slice of something. Okay. And then I move into the wine. Wow, you do it backwards. That's interesting. Well, I know what they say. Um, liquor, wine, always fine. Wine, liquor, never Ooh. sicker. I never heard that before, but I like it. <laughs> okay, <laughs> good deal. You've done traveling. Obviously, Italy holds a special place for you, which... You might want to share 
as your answer to this question, which is, is there a meaningful trip that you can share with us? Uh, well, that obviously stands out, the elopement in Italy in June 2001, because it evolved, you know, it's a it's the trip that keeps on giving. Right. So but, you've, you've got to tell the story because our listeners don't know it. We haven't talked about it. Oh, okay. I thought maybe earlier we did. So 601 Sellers represents June 2001, which is when my husband and I eloped in Italy. And we were actually just planning to go on one of our European vacations, which we used to do a lot when we lived on the East Coast when it was easier to get there. And um, when I was at was working at Cisco at the time, and a colleague told me that he and his wife got married in Italy. And I asked him, you know, how did you do that? Do you have family there? And he goes, nope, you just have to go down to the um, embassy and fill out some paperwork. And then when you get to Italy, you have to fill out some paperwork, and you just need to be there 48 hours, and you can get married. Well, at the time, my husband Brian and I had been living together and actually had bought two homes together by now. And everyone was, you know, when are you getting married? When are you getting married? <laughs> you know, we were both late in life, so we weren't rushed or didn't feel that we had to do that. And um, anyway, I t- told him the story and we thought it would just be fun while we were there maybe just to do it because we were going actually to Florence, which is both of our favorite city. And it was the first time either one of us had been there together. Oh. Um, so anyway, it kind of just evolved, and we got uh, tech world that we're in. We went to italyweddings.com and set up a um, uh, flowers and a car and a photographer and witnesses, and it was kind of fun. And I'm just sorry, the two of us. Did you say italyweddings.com? Yes, italyweddings.com. Oh. And I think I haven't looked in a while, but we were on the montage because we were actually in the square one of the pictures of our our favorite wedding pictures is us with the mimes i don't know if you've been in florence in the main square and they have the picture frames and so it's us sitting with the mimes and we're in a picture frame so it's kind of fun but anyway that was um and we had a follow-on um vacation in the positano and capri which was Mm -hmm. just beautiful you know i love positano it was magnificent so yeah that's most memorable but we've traveled all over Europe. Um, a couple years ago, we went to the Rioja region, which you know, inspired us for the Grenache uh, that we make, and San Sebastian, and I don't know, I could go on. I love France, Paris, Bordeaux. We went bike riding in Bordeaux. There's a lot of them, but I would say the trip to Italy in 2001 is probably if I had the to most pick one. meaningful. If I had to pick one, yeah, pick one. Do you have a bucket list, or have you done everything on it? Oh, no. There's lots of stuff I'd still love to do. Can you um, share one or two items that might be on Yeah, there? you know, it's been it's been kind of sucky. I don't know if I can say that on the podcast. <laughs> the, you know, we haven't been able to really travel. Right. And right before COVID hit, we were planning to do safari. Oh, fun. And um, obviously we had to cancel that because I think South Africa is one of the first places that people were dying by the millions. But um, So that's still out there. I definitely want to do that. In a good way, in a you know high end way, right? Um, we I'd love to do a cooking trip in Morocco. Those are probably the top two things I'm thinking in the, on the travel side right now. Morocco and safari. Yeah, there you go. Traveling. When friends come to visit you here in the Napa Valley, what are two or three things that you tell them that they can't miss? That they cannot miss. Miss. Well, obviously, homemade pizza with our 601 Cellars wine, of course. But if they're at my house, they're probably having that. In Napa, I would say... Well, in the valley, anywhere. 
for the city person because we have different you know some people come out and they want to do see the beautiful estates and everything in napa so i would say definitely to go visit some of the original wineries that made napa history like the buena vista winery or chateau montalena or sterling even mm-hmm. um so you know you kind of have to make that round for my city friends that like food and to be a lot of action, I, I always recommend spending a day downtown, trotting around to all the tasting rooms and, you know, having dinner at some of the great restaurants that are down there. Um, and when you say downtown, you mean Napa? Yeah, downtown yeah. Napa. It's really resurged and mm-hmm. there's a lot of great, you know, you can just walk around now. You don't, you can park your car and. Yeah, it's fantastic. Have great places to eat and drink and run into people and gather. And, you know, there's rooftop bars. I mean, it's my city girl in me. But um, I would say that, you know, doing that spectrum, top two things. And there's so many wineries. I wouldn't even want to call any specific winery out because there's so many beautiful wineries that, you know, I'd have to find out what someone's drinking. Right. To make a recommendation. or Or, Yeah, or what their preferences are. Right. Um. When you take a day off, ha ha, (laughs) what would that look like? How would you spoil yourself on a day off? Um, I would make lunch plans with a friend. Where would you go? Would depend on, you know, whose turn it was and what area of town. But uh, one of my favorite restaurants is Bistro Don Giovanni. That's that's a crowd pleaser. You can sit outside, inside. They've got great wine, great food. Um, so that's always kind of first on my list. Um, or downtown, I like Angel. Uh, great bar. It's one of my favorite bars in Napa. Uh, very cozy and, you know, everybody knows everybody. Yeah. Goose and Gander is a great oh, bar, too. I love too. Goose and Gander, yeah. Um, I don't know. Depends on who the person. It's a perfect day, so you're hanging oh, out at a day. restaurant. I'm having lunch, so that's it. And then we drink wine. No, um, I like to uh, bike ride. Right. So a fun day is to get my bike and go from our house to Yountville for lunch. So that's like a ten nine mile um, schlep on the bike. Have lunch, bike back. Say I've got my exercise in and, and a great a good lunch. meal. Yeah. Yeah. To go to the spa always love to get a massage where do you go well it's not a foo-foo spa it's a deep tissue expert named alexis and her company is called napa therapeutic massage and she is a magician a magician yes and i always <laughs> schedule it late in the day because i don't want to do anything after i see her okay except to have a glass of wine and relax okay so there's some of your perfect day activities and you top it off with uh, vodka, <laughs> probably. <laughs> a vodka and soda at the end yeah. of the day. All right, Laura. Well, we're going to wrap things up with five quick questions. You ready? Okay. What kind of car do you drive? I have a convertible BMW 4 Series. Okay. Who's your favorite designer? Oh, I like Eileen Fisher because oh. everything's just nice and roomy and okay. natural. Mm-hmm. What's one of your favorite flowers? I love um, dahlias. Okay. And those those became my favorite when I moved to California. What's your favorite holiday? Halloween. And what's in your <laughs> nightstand? And thank and Thanksgiving. I do like Thanksgiving. <laughs> no. I love Halloween, though. It's very fun. I'm a, I'm a dresser-upper. What's in your nightstand? 
Uh, well, it's a glass top table, so not much in there. But I have okay, a, on top um, a noise neck. machine and a box of tissues and a lamp. It's about all that fits on it. <laughs> Laura, you are a delight and so much fun to hang out with you. It's Thank so you. Fun. Visit WineCountryWomen.com to join our exclusive list so you can be the first to learn about upcoming offers and events. Grab a glass and join us next week for a new edition of Wine Country Women.